Welcome to the Big Beatles Sortout, a show in which I, author and musician Gary Abbott, attempt to finally decide my favourite Beatles recordings by scoring each and every one for lyrical content, musicality and production, assisted by my brother and resident Beatles expert, Paul Abbott. Each episode we explore and score five songs pulled at random from the Beatles' full recording catalogue. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to episode 18 and welcome to, and though the holes were rather Paul, Abbott. <laughs> Very good. You're having to look further for these now, aren't you? Yeah, I thought if I go into lyrics, it's opened up, opened up a whole new avenue now. Yeah. So, so hopefully I can stretch that out for another 50 odd episodes. Uh, before we begin, don't forget you can keep in touch with us at big underscore sort on Twitter or by email to bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And please do let everyone know about us or leave a review. That's the best thing you can do for us. Um, also, personally, you can keep up with my music and writing news on my website, garyabbott.co.uk, and or my blog, garyabbott.com. Paul, where can our listeners find you? They can find me on Twitter at, at Pablovich which has also got all of the information on my bio about the other podcast projects that I do. And I would also ask people if they want to look at at Good Grief Liverpool or at Good Grief L Pool, as it actually is on Twitter, for my band, Good Grief. Indeed, yeah. Never mentioned them before, No, well, this is it, yeah. We are both musicians. We, if, 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 if anyone ever wondered, you know, <laughs> we have more than just a passing interest in the Beatles. Um, as listeners, we, we played. Um, yeah. And yeah, definitely listen to Good Grief. So, Paul, let's start uh, with On This Beatles Day, which should be the 18th of January. Yes, the 18th of January, episode 18, 18th of January, and I've picked 1967, which is an interesting day. It's a day in which Paul McCartney is interviewed, filmed for a a scene special on Granada Television. Mm. Uh, So a subtitle of the episode is, it's so far out, it's straight down. And it's a programme looking at the London counterculture, which the Beatles are starting to immerse themselves in. Uh, it's recorded on 18th of January. It doesn't get broadcast until 7th of March. So I'm, you know, picking a date, the most interesting thing on an 18th of January. Yeah. So it is, yeah, a recording. But what is it? It's just Paul McCartney being interviewed. And you can see most of this footage on YouTube in little sections. as You can find what someone where someone's put it all together, as much of it that exists now. Anyway, and it's interesting because, of course, they stopped touring at the end of August 1966. Hmm. Very end of August is the end of Live Beatles. Yeah. And they basically then vanish off the map for a a few months. And so it's no wonder that people have been saying, oh, have you split up? Yeah. Stuff like that. They don't do many interviews at that time. There's, you know, Brian Epstein's having to spend a lot of time sort of fending off these have they split up sort of rumours. But, of course, what's actually happening is they're growing big hair and moustaches, so this bit of footage of Macca has got him with his his moustache coming along quite nicely. Mm. And, yeah, they're actually, what they're doing in the studio is they're starting to make Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane and When I'm 64, so it's the start of Sergeant Pepper's happening, but nobody knows. Yeah. So we've got, you know, in a matter of just three months or so, we've gone from touring Beatles to this new you know McCartney. So this yeah. interview, he just basically says, you know, it so does. often. <laughs> it's it's clearly a young man sort of trying to figure out his, what he's actually talking about, you know, as he's saying it, to try and explain the London counterculture scene. And, yeah, you know, it's interesting because of people who control you, you know, and they say, you want to do this? And, you know, they say, ah, but, you know. 
<laughs> it's all these McCartney ticks uh, sort of writ large in this. It's yeah. a weird period. It's not the Summer of Love yet. It's not the touring Beatles. He's got his moustache. He's trying to work out his philosophy. It's it's interesting. It's very interesting. But it's also interesting because it's one of these interviews that uh, the people who believe that Paul McCartney was replaced by a, 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 a doppelganger yeah, person yeah. called, you know, they call it Fall McCartney, fake Paul, Fall this is supposedly the first interview done by this character, to which I say, go fall down the stairs, you idiots. <laughs> it's, you know, that's, yeah. yeah. So there you go. There's a little weird aside for it there. Anyway, it's also about this time they're doing Carnival of Light, something we'll never be able to cover on here because they're never going to release it. Mm, yes, the mysterious Carnival of Light. Yeah, you sent me the interview. Um, and that's exactly what I got from it was there's probably... It goes on for about seven or eight minutes, I think, the yeah, complete yeah. uncut interview. But there's probably about 30 seconds of content in there between the, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah he's, um, he doesn't quite... He's trying to work it out as he's saying it, isn't he? He's, it's struggling. Yeah, it is. But it's interesting uh, to see his the cogs whirring, obviously, in that transitional yeah, period. Yeah, not, because he's not being asked about when's your next single out, when's your next, you know, LP out. Are you going to make another film? Are you going to, you know, what do you think of the girls in wherever mm. all that sort of stuff that i've been used to for the past few years so it's a very different beetle emerging yeah very interesting stuff um if you will put it up on the links to it up on uh, the twitter because it's on mm-hmm. youtube isn't it with with all the bits cut out so that's always good so oh, very interesting one so we'll crack straight on with uh, the first song which is everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey come on come on Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey, Paul. That's a strange set of circumstances you've found yourself in there, Gary. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's a strange set of circumstances uh, if you take the title at face value, which, you know, we'll get onto lyrics, mm. really. <laughs> Obviously, it's tracked from the White Album from the Beatles, 22nd of November 1968, recorded on a couple of dates at the end of June 68, and then a couple of dates in July as well. And... It is a great, I've got the words hypnotic rock song Mm. written down here. You've got, it's a John number, so you've got some great electric guitar sounds. You've got some great nutsoid percussion stuff going on. It's it's always been a big favourite of mine, this, so. And mine, um, not surprisingly. It's funny, so what did you call it again? Hypnotic rock. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's got a bit of a, a bit of a funk about it as well. Um, oh, it's got a groove. It's yeah, got a groove. groove. It's got a very um, what we'd hear again later in things like whatever gets you through the night. A frenetic kind of definitely got a kind of yeah, it's something that wouldn't be out of place in funk or disco in years to come after this. Um, parts of it, you know. Uh, yeah, I get. I get. You're saying you know now, like McCartney. You know. You know. Um, it's got elements of that stuff anyway. Or it's it's maybe those things have got elements of this. Who knows? I like the precision of this song. The bits that remind me of funk in the way that it's arranged, the fact that there's a little rhythm guitar bit that brings us in with the chord stabs, um, the way the ride cymbal is ringing throughout. You can almost imagine them as loops in the modern day, kind of being brought in and out, these different parts. The rolling bass line, 
the picked guitar lead part. They combine and make a kind of a funky hole that if you did stick a wah-wah pedal on it, uh, it would tip it completely over the edge. But it's got, it really has got a groove. That's what I'm after when I'm saying funky. It is that groove. And it's existed from the, like, basic version of it as well because it's been released officially on the isha demos in the white album box yeah. set as well and even the acoustic version has essentially got it going on in the guitar the rhythm guitar part so, right, that okay. john's playing yeah yeah so it's it was there from the start um but it's tempered by lennon's rock vocal and the rock choruses that kind of set it all down onto the beat don't they so it becomes solid then and rocky and chuntering and and that big old kind of um riff that screams out of it um you know, when he comes out of the chorus line. Mm. Yeah, and not to mention the very cool midsection with the bass run. It's a great song. Musically, I've always had a soft spot for this one. And in fact, in music technology, when I was doing my BTEC National Diploma, I once programmed this in MIDI. Oh, lovely. Um, I'm giving it 83 for music. Nice. Um, on to production then. Uh, so, anything in production you'd like to mention, Paul, before I crack on? There's nothing particularly uh, bonkers in terms of the putting it together, I don't think, other than it's it's obviously one they work up in the studio from this original sort of acoustic version. Yeah. I quite like, on the proper mix, the, the ridiculous stereo spacing, which is you've got all the... You've got... <laughs> Like the bass and this handbell and the drums all off in the left speaker and the guitars mm. all off in the right speaker. So it's almost a bit like the early stereo separations on some of the other recordings where they had no choice but yeah. to do stereo like that. And yeah, I like the I like the way it's it's absolutely nuts. So you've got this frenetic handbell going on in yeah. the first couple of verses right off in the left speaker and you've got the guitar nice and clear in the right. So that's my main contribution to thoughts on production because there's nothing else really i don't no. think that stands out there so when you said handbell is that's probably what i i was saying when i said about the ride symbol the ride symbol ringing away throughout that's actually a handbell then is it so you've got on the basic track you've got the drums yeah. guitar and mccartney's playing a handbell in the first part mm. constantly throughout and then he swaps over to the maracas for the second half of the song right okay and then he overdubs his bass so cool well, I think like with the music, the arrangement works um, really well because the whole song is made up of all these different parts working around each other perfectly. Like I said, with loops nowadays where, you, you know, on digital music where you can just say, oh, I'll mute that for a bit. I'll have that bit coming in for a while. Bring that back, back bit back in. Um, rather than just layers that, that, that they have to be working against around between each other. And I think that takes skill to arrange and to record and mix, I'm sure, you know. Mm. Um, I love the harmonics in that handbell you hear within it because it's so loud in the mix. It, it it's a really nice sound. Um, I say I thought it was a ride symbol mic'd close, but it's 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 a hand yeah. Mark. I suppose you could get something similar if you were yeah. There'd probably be a way of get something similar, but you'd, yeah, it's a handbell. Yeah, it's got a nice um, range of of sound coming out of it. Um, the guitars and the bass are sounding great, very white albumy sounding. Um, and then we have another point of interest with the come on come on section, which. It, is it essentially just a load of tracked vocals? Is there delay going on, or do you think they're just? They're, they're I just, think it's just, just all of them around a mic. I think just all going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, like that. All, yeah, yeah. Essentially, because it's John all the way through, and then I think the others are credited with vocals, but it's just for that section at the end there. Oh, okay, okay. Um, it's a really good, clean-sounding tune, um, especially by White Album standards. I'm going to give it seventy-four point five for production. So on to the lyrics. So leaving aside the, the, the main bit, we, we have, um, you know, the very 
obvious part of the lyrics to talk about. For the rest of it, we have Lennon kind of almost doing a hello goodbye here with a little flare. We're kind of in opposite to land again, aren't we? The deeper you go, the higher you fly, that kind of thing. Yeah. With lots of kind of come-ons and take-it-easies to pad it out. And, and ordinarily, I'd be wavering towards the low end of the scoring because of that. But um, then we have the immortal 11 words. Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. And with that, things change. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, as we know, I try to avoid research. As one, we have you for that. Uh, and two, I don't think, you know, I should need to research lyrics to judge what I think of them from, as a listener. I'm trying to play the part of. But um, I'd say as a listener, are we thinking that the monkey is the monkey on your back kind of thing? Is it? Is no, it, not it, at all. It's not? This is just, oh. this is just about Yoko. <laughs> okay. So whether, whether that's him sort of sort of teasing her with the word monkey like as a little pet name yeah i don't think it is but the song is he's just said it's about yoko it's just a celebration of him and yoko together so she's his monkey in this song in this song she he's with yeah, well i don't know it's it's i don't even know if it's it's that as much as it's because it's that, that seems like it'd be weird and a bit of a strange thing to say and it's never been that he ever had that nickname for her in any other circumstance mm. but I think it's just it's just joy at this relationship bursting through in such a strange way. And apparently also maybe slightly based on a line that the Maharishi used to use, which is the everybody's got something to hide line, okay. apparently, according to George Harrison. Oh, well, that was rich um, coming from him. But yeah, okay. Well, he'll get on to that at some point. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's just... Because it actually works, even if it wasn't about Yoko, as I say, without that context, it works well. Because if everyone else is... It's like saying, well, you've all got something to hide. As in, you know, a monkey on your back is kind of metaphor for having a bit of an issue or a hang-up. Except, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. It's kind of, it's almost a pun if you well, take yeah. it that way. But um, but if, you know, it doesn't really matter because it's a, it's a great string of words. Um, so I'm going to give it 64 for lyrics which gives it 73.8 overall. So, next we have Let It Be. And when the broken-hearted people living in the world agree There will be an answer, let it be For though they may be parted There is still a chance that they will see let it be let it be paul ah that's my motto <laughs> that's what i say when i walk into a room <laughs> you should now, start doing that if you could walk will, into it if from you, here on in if we could walk into rooms that aren't our own <laughs> yeah yeah i think lorraine get very annoyed with it very quickly anyway after the frenzy of everybody's got something to hide dot 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 we get to the Piece. I don't know if that's the right word, of Let It Be. Mm. And I think probably this is our, our big one for this episode, isn't it? This is our... Well, we don't know yet. Yeah. Well, I think it is. I think it is. And I, the reason I say it anyway is, obviously, it is a single. It's on the album as well. It's got that George Martin versus Phil Spector story attached to it. It's a hymn. It's a pop song. It's pure mccartney in many ways it it's just one of the big i think it's one of the big ones of of beatles legend really yeah i think that's fair yeah fair to say so before we get on to it let's just untangle for our listeners sake um 
the differences between the album and the single. So, that, so I'm only going to score one kind of homogenous version. I'm going to go to the highest score for each category based on whichever version I think meets that. I think for me, it's mainly the single version, which is mm. that the George Martin one. Let's get this. Yeah. One. So basically, the song is recorded as part of the Get Back Let It Be sessions. Uh, in January of 1969, on a few dates there. There's some overdubs in April of 69. Now, we get to January the 8th, 1970, and Glyn Johns puts together a mix, Mm. which is used for the single. Right. Which has one particular guitar solo on it. Yeah. And then in March 26, on March 26, in 1970, Phil Spector does his mix, Mm. which mainly seems to consist of him pushing up all the faders on the orchestra bits yeah and also he edits in a repeat at the towards the end of the chorus so it's longer yeah so the the album version's longer more or more obvious orchestration on it mm. even though it is there on the on the single as well you'd be hard pressed in some cases to, to f- hear it mm. and yeah it has a different guitar solo on it so and i can't make my mind up necessarily about what version of the solo i prefer i think the one on the album is slightly better thought out Mm. but the one on the single i think flows really really nicely so i don't know and also did i read or somewhere that the they were intending at one point that the two would run concurrently but that was never the guitar solos yeah yeah, there was some talk that it would be two guitar solos happening at the same time yeah yeah okay um, I should say simultaneously, not concurrently. Anyway, okay, so that, that gets it a bit clearer for me. So the, the single version for me is the better of the two. Um, it comes out on the 6th of March, 1970, backed with You Know My Name, Look Up The Number. Which we have already covered. We have. Um, and I remember being surprised at the time that that was the B-side to Let It Be, of all things. But um, So where to start with the music then? So maybe we can start with this being the now mentally ingrained gospel piano chords that bring in Paul's vocal, um, start where the song starts. I mean, what you have is an amazing grace for a new generation, don't you? Like you said, it's a hymn, a song that will one day, millennia from now, still exist and just be called traditional if all else is forgotten of our time and people. It's it's just it's just a song that needs to exist and, and <laughs> did, <laughs> yeah. didn't then and, and then did. So regardless of the mix you listen to, um, we do have essentially the same orchestration, but at different levels, don't we? Although, like you say, you can barely hear it in the single version, which I think is for the better. Well, uh, can I just go through the personnel then, just okay. so we know? So obviously we've got Paul mainly on the, the piano and vocal. Yeah. But he's also doing some part of the backing vocals, which will come to in production. He's Ultimately, I think he's playing an overdub bass on top of John's bass six, like a six-string bass, okay. bar- baritone guitar, whatever you want to call it as well. McCartney also adds the maracas in. George obviously does the fantastic lead guitars and adds some backing vocals. Mm. Ringo on drums and overdubbed Tom parts. Right. And then, importantly, we have Billy Preston on organ, which is a vital part of the song. Yes, yeah. We also, on the single version, have Linda McCartney doing some of the backing vocals. Yeah. Her only appearance on a Beatles record. And the orchestration that George Martin arranges is two trumpets, two trombones, a tenor sax and some cellos. Right. Which are almost inaudible on the they, single They really version. are. I th- I don't but know if it's, it's, it's textural, yeah. really. I don't know if it's because when you go and listen to the album version, which I flitted between the two of them, you know, doing my notes for this, that the album version is just so high. Like you say, you just put everything so high in the mix, including those overdubbed toms as well, that when you go to the single version, 
it it's almost you almost can't hear it at all because you I don't know but it's um I think I still think it's all the better for it. it obviously it has the same feel of the swell of it being there but it's not completely in your in your face um yeah and it's good the addition of Linda uh, Linda's voice turns the, all of their voices into at first I thought it was a I was going to see if it was a female choir, but it's not, is it? They're all doing a high register, but because there's a female voice in there, it really adds to it. Yeah, and it's also the backing vocals. I think are like triple tracked. Yeah, so they really, so really it, thick. So it does sound like a choir. Mm. And obviously, it's got that. You know, they're all doing a very soft, and it is gospelly, and it's got that 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 beauty and serenity to it, and all the rest of the orchestration at whatever levels that it's doing what it needs to around this. Um, but and the song could hold up without these. I mean, there isn't like the let it be is let it be naked version to this way. It's pretty much just yeah. the piano, and it's the kind of song that you you could hear that way. But it it, it works for it, and it, uh, you know, musically, I'm talking about here rather than production, just the the arrangements. It's great. I like it. Big, dramatic, tear jerking, and beautiful. I'm going to give it 91.5 for music, so, which is a, a big score. Big score. Um, I told you it was a big one. Yeah, well, it is. It is. I was I was only being silly before when I doubted you. Production, then, it gets um, a bit tricky because of the different versions, but like I said, I'll score the best from both. We've said about the... The, the piano sounds gorgeous on them both, um, and it's so well recorded, so warm. It's a lovely piano, isn't it, that one? Yeah, it's it's a great sound, even if he does play that wrong note, or oh, that does wrong it, chord. At one it, point. Uh, like, yeah, three minutes in. yeah. And it's left in, and and on the single version, there's a voice in one of the speak in the right speaker at about a minute and seven seconds in. A voice says something, and I can't make out what it is, oh. and I can't find who it is on anything. You know, in my research as well, there's a little ghost voice in there. I always like them. Yeah. Okay. And I think there's a lot of the production decisions are important because you have this version which has the reverb on the drums mm. compared to the album version which has the delay reverb. So you get the yeah, I don't like that, and it gets too much. But that's Phil Spector. It's Wall of Sound. Yeah, yeah, this is it. And the the tom part on the album version, the dong 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 dong, the very very staticky drum tom part, is very loud on the Spectre version as well. And it's going along with that bit. And I I just don't like it. I think it 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 pulls it out from from being a nice blend to being too. Uh, too forward in the mix which is why I prefer the single version that's the one I'm going to score we've got the slightest bit of organ throughout until he comes in quite def- you know definitively for the solo so yeah. he's just he's just joining at times into Billy Preston um, obviously in the great big link sections with the da 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 he's, yeah. he's in there um, but he manages to, to be both like he sounds like English church at certain times yeah. but then he sort of he, f- he forces it, he t- transmogrifies that sound into like proper gospel church. It's amazing. So it has this proper hymn quality, but it also has this gospel quality. And it, it's a lot of that is down to, to Billy Preston making the decisions about, you know, which stops on the keyboard he's going to use or which sounds on the keyboard he's going to use and how he's going to play it. Is yeah. he going to put in that little sort of bluesy flick to make it gospel? Or is it going to be like a, a pipe organ? Yeah. It's, it's excellent, excellent orchestration from him. What organ is he playing it on? We know the kind of organ and type. I think of. it's some sort of Hammond organ, but I haven't got yeah. the information to hand. I'm afraid I can certainly find out for you. It's it's all right. There's plenty of footage of it anyway because yeah. it's all part of the get back sessions. I mean, it's great. Um, yeah. So Paul's voice backed by the guys sounding great. 
the organ, the bass joins almost emerging from the low piano. Um, yeah, we've got the the guitar solos. Um, it's hard to discuss them in a way that's going to mean much to the listener. You just got to listen to them both and decide which one you like. Neither of them are bad, are they? Um, no, both, no, they're both good. Um, so yeah, anything else on the production, Paul? Before I give my score for it? No, no, I'd, mm. I'd move on. It's, it's we've just covered it. uh, we've covered it's, it. it's uh, I don't know. It could have been something different if they'd have put it on the White Album. It could have been something different if they'd have made it as a standalone single rather than as part of the Get Back Let It Be sessions. Yeah. It's, it, but it, it emerges out of that brilliantly. Yeah, and I'm going to score the production 89. So, on to the lyrics then. So, famously, another dream-delivered song, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a well-known story. We won't really tread it too much, but as far as I understand... Under- well, it's one, it's one of the big stories. It's another McCartney big story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. A vision of his late mother, Mary. Yeah. Telling him to let so, it be, basically. Yeah, It's so Mary McCartney had, had died when Paul was only 14. Mm. She was 47. She had breast cancer. So, that was in 1956 that that happened, and... Obviously, funnily enough, she was a big impact on his life. And he always claimed that then she came to him in this dream when he was going through a particularly stressful time, as I yeah. imagine a lot of the time was for, for all of them in 1968, at 70, stuff like that. And he, he has said he didn't know if she actually used those words, but he was left with that feeling of, you know, yeah. some interviews he says that she said, let it be. Some he says that, you know, that was the feeling he was left with, that she was encouraging, let it be, it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and in turn he he takes that and then he tells the whole world to let it be, and thus the spiritual and or subconscious strata of a genius is uncovered and given to us all. Um, it's I mean the, the lyrics are graceful in their in their simplicity, their poignancy, their universality as a as hymns can be, not always. Whether you believe yeah. a soul of a departed loved one can literally come back to you or not, the beauty of the kind of human mind to even conceive. Or imagine that notion is is a wonderful thing, and he's captured something of that with this whole song. Um, yeah. I think it's a str- it's. I mean, part of this idea of people calling it him is because the name Mary is in there. Well, yeah, uh, but which, it also has an organ in it and has those. Yeah, things. well, I mean, apart from, <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of of evidence to call, to give it that name, but mm. I think it's important that the name Mary is in there because that does tie it into this Christian sort of doctrine thing as well so it gives mm. it more weight along that way as so it's easy to read it like that without knowing anything about it yeah and you have a obviously things like lady madonna yeah that um happened as well sorry if you can hear a bath in the background being run that is my wife running a bath. your wife is a bath no <laughs> that's how she talks it's just like taps all day long no if, if you can i don't know if you can but, um, I can't. Oh, good. Well, hopefully the listeners can't either. <laughs> Maybe like a but I'll have to leave, ghost voice. I'll have to leave this in just in case they can. Um, right. Yeah, it's... Yeah, because we have Lady Madonna, which also has that, that kind of feeling to it as yeah. well, obviously, because of the Madonna. Um, but anyway, um, he's captured something with this whole song, topped off by the lyrics that, as often happens with Macra especially, feels almost divine from thin air. You know, um, but of course it isn't. He wrote it. He, he may be subconscious. He may have had some of the initial kick from a, a dream. But th- this is a, a person who wrote this song, and people have to remember that because it's so easy to 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 mac a bash sometimes when people bec- just don't appreciate 
this isn't you know this is not an easy thing to do to write something as classic as this. Um, I'm going to give it 87.5 for lyrics, which is going to give it 89.3 overall. Next, we have Ticket to Ride. I think I'm going to be sad. I think it's today. Ticket to Ride, Paul. Yes, Ticket to Ride, Gary. I haven't got anything for that one. So, 15th of February 1965 is the recording session for this. It is a single that comes out on the 9th of April 1965, backed with Yes It Is, and it is on the Help album, and obviously in the film as well, in that brilliant sequence. That Help album comes out in uh, 6th of August 1965. Mm -hmm. It's a, a Lennon song. It's a heavy Lennon song. Mm. It always seems strange to discuss this in terms of it being heavy, hard rock yeah. compared to some of the other things, but that's how Lennon always thought of it. And certainly at the time, it would have been comparatively heavier than it appears now to mm. us. Yeah. But it's great Beatles single. It certainly is. Um, the bright, jangly, broken guitar brings us in and serves as the backdrop to this pop classic, but, I mean... Yeah, you're right. It's a bit like I feel fine and things, isn't it? These these little glances of um, of what would become heavier must have sounded much kind of uh, stronger to their ears than it than it does to ours now. But it is a it is a classic. It's a pop classic. Um, it's another methodical song, as marked out by Ringo's brilliant beat, um, being backed up by Paul's bass in perfect unison. It's a really really rhythm driven song. Yeah. I also love those super fast tom rolls he does in those single beats between sections. You know his little... Fits. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think Ringo, again, it's another... Is Ringo the winner on this one? Yeah, I think he might be. Um, uh, but John is singing um, a really good melancholy lead over this kind of bright-sounding song, which adds a, conf uh, a confounding quality to it, you know. So I think that the, the music sounds bright and hopeful, but the, the lyrics aren't, you know. The it's lyrics. those 12-string guitars, you see. Yeah, So they, the chime and the brightness of those. Mm. Which is, I say, in in later times, you might have distorted it up a bit and it would have, but it's, and this would have worked as a as a heavier rock song. Um, but they're still using that bright sound. But it works well. And the, the, the faster sections kick in at just the right time to give it a shot of interest and energy. Um yeah, and the little lead bits are, are wonderful. Few and far between, but really nicely done. Perfectly kind of executed. Thank you, Paul McCartney. Is it Paul doing them? Yeah. I always feel Paul's bad. For, it's, it's Paul's first go at uh, lead guitar on a Beatles record. Oh, is it? I always feel a little bit bad for George when I say about how nice one of the guitar parts is and you tell me it's Paul who did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, 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 they're neat. Um, and they're also the same with Paul's occasional harmonies. They're, they're not... There or they just happen now and again, and they just they just lift up certain bits. It's I think it's a really expertly crafted and executed piece of music. Um, I'm going to give it 65 for music. Uh, so production, this is one of those ones where I think it's pretty much just the usual lineup, except it isn't, is it? Because you've just told me it isn't. Well, it's you know essentially it's it's the band playing a song and. Yeah. 
of course, it goes into their 1965 set lists as their single, and they play it a lot. So it is a band performance. It's not that there's anything in the studio that's particularly, mm. you know, out there, but it does afford them the opportunity to overdub an extra guitar on there. So it's got another sort of bit of heaviness to it as well and get McCartney to do those lead bits yeah. in there. So it's, yeah, it's it's pretty much standard studio fare. Yeah. But it's their decisions about the arranging of the guitars, essentially, that makes it what it is. And John just going that bang, bang thing yeah. that he's doing on the guitar, which is his, kind of his drone. idea of, of hard rock drones. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's, that's the thing, isn't it, that gives it that, that edge. Um, oh, and I suppose, actually, we'd better talk about the outro, which is somewhere between production and music as an idea, isn't it? The so m- the, my Baby Don't Care bit. Um, yeah. Where it kind of goes into a, a bit of a new kind of groove again. Yeah, it's a bit like the hello goodbye thing, isn't it? It's yeah, just, it stops and then you have a mad bit at the end that fades yeah. away. Yeah, I was just going to say exactly the same thing. I'm trying to think off the top of my head how many other songs do that, but definitely hello goodbye does it, and it keeps the interest all the way to the end as well, doesn't it? You, you know, you're not just repeating. Yeah, you know, so I think that was a, probably a, a clever little idea in the studio that they would have come up with to keep the interest in there. Mm. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, I think you pretty much said it all. Really, the the, the bright and jang- um, jangly, bright, sparkly guitars, the choices they made for them, the drone sound that goes underneath it all, um, and I think it's very very um, tight performance, uh, which is given some of the other songs that are on that album that we've had somewhere yeah. they've had some pretty shoddy, not shoddy, but you know, not the best. So this is one where they're really, it's all methodical, great, well rehearsed. Very good. So um, I'm going to give it 65 for production, the same as for music. So lyrics then. So it is a sad song by all accounts and a little bit tantrumy in the faster sections um, when he's demanding that the girl that's going away ought to think and do right by him. However, does it, does it, is it just me or does it feel like it's more self-aware of that fact that his attitude is probably the reason she wants to go? I get that. What do you think? Well, it, the question now you have to ask yourself, and this is the simple thing, is how much weight do you put onto actually lyrical content, given that it's probably just a pun title? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's. I don't think there's much in the lyrics, particularly. No, no. <laughs> to, I just to, want to wonder this one, because we've had some where, you know, y- y- the sentiment is a bit... With this one, I think it's a bit more self-aware of kind of like... The fact that he's being a bit more kind of like she ought to think right, she ought to do right with me. She's 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 but she's got a ticket to ride. And she don't care. It's kind of it's almost painting a portrait of the kind of person who. Well, that's I was just thinking that as you're saying that because you could read it as it's from the man's point of view, yeah. the singer's point of view, or you can just take it as the character of the the girl who's up and leaving. Yeah. Which is in that sense seem makes it a more positive song because she's clearly getting out of this possessive relationship. Exactly. But that would require it to be a John Lennon song writing about a character, which of course he says he never does and never wants to. Hmm. And so, so we can't, maybe there's yeah. a bit of McCartney influence there. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, either way, um, it doesn't feel as troublesome as some of the other ones we've talked about. Um, no. And having the ticket to ride as a foil for the kind of lyric variant on the same old themes gives it some legs. Um, I always find uh, this one and Day Tripper are very similar to me. They've got similar themes. They've got a similar yes. feel, a similar sound. 
Uh, similar and, similar pun titles. Yeah, exactly. So in this case, it gets the same lyrical score as um, that did, which is 62, which gives it 64 overall. So the the joke being that McCartney and Lennon at one point when they were younger, I think in 1960, hitchhiked down to the Isle of Wight right. to stay with Paul's cousin, Bet and her husband, Mike Robbins, because mm. they had a pub on the Isle of Wight. And, of course, one of the towns on the Isle of Wight is Ride, R-Y-D-E. Oh, right. She's got so, a ticket to Ride. So that's... Although Lennon never mentioned that, I don't think, it, it's it's been mentioned by McCartney. It's like, oh, yeah, I think it just came up. So it would have been a joke they would have made amongst yeah. themselves at some point. So that's probably stuck in their heads. And then there's also this story about John saying to a journalist at one point, oh, yeah, well, the prostitutes in Hamburg used to get their medical checkups and they'd get a card declaring them clean. Right. And I called it a ticket ticket to ride. ride. So it's got this multiple layers thing. But that was probably, again, just Lennon being a pillock. Yeah. (laughs) So making a joke, being being irreverent. And, uh, yeah, so we don't know, really. But it is mainly a John song, so... Fair enough. Well, but I did find one little thing I did want to mention. Yeah, a little thing from the Financial Times, that brilliant, uh, hip, groovy paper from the. <laughs> it's um, March sixteenth, nineteen sixty-five, and it, the headline is "A New Beatles Single on April 9. Financial Times reporter, and I'll just read the whole thing for you. It's only a couple of bits. Okay. A new single, forty-five RPM disc by the Beatles, is being released on April nine. The two titles are "Ticket to Ride" and "Yes, It Is." Both are featured in the film the Beatles are now making. Well, they're not. Yes, it isn't in the film. No. It is confidently expected that advance orders will run into several hundred thousand records. And that's the way the Financial Times used to report on these things, yeah. which is very interesting. It's a nice alternative to the, the pop papers and the sort of disc reviewers. Is the Financial Times, if you ever look up any research, is very much about it made this much money for Northern songs, this many pre-orders, yeah. da, da, da. How many units like sold kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. rather than anything about what the music actually sounds like. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, very good. So, next. And I love her. I give her all my love. That's all I do. And if you saw my love, You'd love her too. I love her. And I love her, Paul. Well, that's very nice. That's oh. a good state to be in. Maybe not as much when there's a bath going in the background. Everyone can hear, but so no one can hear it. <laughs> no, I love her just as much. Right, and I love her is a song from Hard Day's Night album, which comes out on the tenth of July, nineteen sixty-four. It's recorded on February the 25th, 6th and 7th of 1964, which does include it being more or less totally remade partway through in terms of orchestration. Anyway, and we know it very much as this acoustic number, very much Paul McCartney, big eyes staring off into the distance, Mm -hmm. singing it as the film sort of has it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, an interesting love song from the early days yeah i mean um talking about the melancholy from the previous song this is the opposite of ticket to ride in that the lyrics and theme is actually quite happy but the music feels very sad but in a beautiful (laughs) way so we've got the opposite this time round. um i love all the acoustic parts the arpeggios the intro and outro and bridging riff um the lovely solo um yeah it's brilliant 
It's another very composed, very musical piece, um, reminiscent of yesterday, in that it feels very fully formed. And I wonder how much of it was being coordinated by Paul um, himself, you know, all the various bits. Um, right down to the woodblock. Is it a woodblock? Well, it, it's, yeah, claves, which are yeah. wooden blocks that you hit together. Blocks of wood. And the key change in the middle section. Um the bass and the rhythm guitar, keeping it going together in a Spanishy, flamenco-y kind of way. Uh, it's not flamenco-y. I'll have this argument with you like we had about argument about folk music. It's not flamenco-y at all. Okay. Um, there is a Spanish guitar on it or a nylon-strung guitar. Well, there we go. We'll, 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 yeah. we'll, There's no stylistic stuff. No. But you, you've got that lovely sounding guitar, which which puts you in mind of a romantic Spanishy. <laughs> <laughs> thing I won't say flamenco because I know that's very you know yeah, semitone shifts and all sorts of stuff but um, and also there's the bongos which I don't know where that fits in is it bongos yes yeah. I'll give you bongos so but it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a really lovely bit of music I really like it <laughs> it is it's, it's um, how much of this is Paul do we know is it is the personnel right okay so the personnel on this is, because this is 1964, it has to be a band arrangement to get anything going. So you've got mm. Ringo on the bongos and the claves. You've got George on that nylon-strung guitar. You've got McCartney on bass and vocals. Mm. And he's playing some nice double stops in the bass as well, so he's doing sort of chordy bass bits. Yeah. And, and John on the other acoustic. But what's important to remember with this is, and there is bootlegs out there of this, they tried to do this as an electric thing originally. Oh right, okay. And I've I've listened to it and it is awful. It's so leaden. It's yeah. so imagine like a really big heavy steam engine, like right. a huge metal thing. Yeah. But moving really slowly. Uh, it but, sounds like Peter Jackson's Mortal Engines in music form. Oh goodness! Well, imagine it sort of going really slowly, crashing into something, and you're sort of watching it going, oh. Why isn't it just doing yeah, something? Still sounds like the film Mortal Engines. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this original electric approach is they're trying to make it, it's, it's you know, McCartney's bass is dun, 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 yeah. Ringo's goes on the full drums, George is on a 12 string. Yeah. It just does not work, which is why they do this remake. Oh, good choice. Where they shift. And I wonder how much of that is a production decision, but you haven't yeah. played music scores yet. So. No, I haven't. No. And actually, I think um, the, dis- the decisions about arrangements is in my production notes. So to wrap up the music scores, it's a gorgeous bit of music. Like I said, I'm going to give it 80 for music. Because I really do like it. I've always liked it. Um, production, then. I think it's a beauty production-wise as well. Um, which, with my only slight criticism being the reverb and Paul, can sometimes be a bit too big. But I suspect that probably didn't come across so much on the original kind of vinyl monos and all that, as it does listening now on headphones with digitised remixes. Um, the decisions is what I've thought about with this, with the production. So I think, you, you know... That makes a lot of sense that they tried it one way and then did it this way. And um, I think there's been a couple of songs we've talked about in the past where maybe I've had a problem when I think maybe that's something they didn't do. They didn't think this hasn't quite worked this way. Let's try it differently. And this one, they obviously did. And I'm glad they did. Um, I think the decision to keep the percussion to just the bongos and the wood block is great. Um, The the, the block of wood, should I say. The claves, is it? What is it? Claves? Claves. Claves. Um, And the sound of um, them reverberating out is great. You rarely hear that kind of sound, but when it's used right, it's really, really um, atmospheric. Uh, The only other example I can think of is being 
the great paranoid android by radiohead has a very similar sound in it at points where it's a very studio-y sound not a reverb it's very nice um but i just think they capture the music really nice without much addition or augmentation needed which is because they've made such a good job of arranging it for the correct instruments yeah, once they hit on that nylon strung guitar sound with George doing those riffs, which apparently he did right, you know, and then that moving up to those arpeggios. Yeah. It it all works and it makes sense as a as a composition. And I do wonder how much of that was George Martin saying, "Say chaps, why don't you try this instead of that 12-string guitar?" And mm. also well, how much of that would him, would have been saying, "Well, don't just do it all the way through in D minor. Why don't you start in C sharp minor and mm. then as a little treat <laughs> Step it up to D minor later mm. on. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea. That's how he talked as well. And yeah, a little fag, fag out the edge of his mouth. And then for a little treat, <laughs> why don't you try moving it up a little bit? Yeah, well, because it, it's good. I can imagine this um, arranged for um, uh, nylon string guitars, the whole thing, you know. And it's the kind of thing you, you, could, you hear popping up on classical FM every now and again. A classic FM, even you know, like you'll hear just a, a, a pop song arranged just for for nylon guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be a, a lovely one if someone's not done that already. I'm sure someone has. It'll yeah. be a school arrangement for it somewhere that has been inflicted on parents in any of your <laughs> concerts. Yeah, well, we know all about that. Yes, so we do. 76 for production, I'm giving it. Uh, lyrics then. So we have doe eyed Paul breaking our hearts once again. <gasps> oh. This was kind. Of, this was the kind of song, or is the kind of song that made made me a hopeless romantic as a younger man. I think, I think I kind of grew mm. up listening to these kind of songs, thinking that's what love's going to be like. <laughs> it's going to be helplessly romantic and tragic and beautiful all at the same time. Um, this is until I actually kind of you know got to an age where I'd have anything to do with girls. The 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 idea of the kind of sentiment these songs bring, it's just lovely, isn't it? Uh, sad with love, not even unrequited, just so strong that it covers all emotions. Um, but a lot of that's been conveyed by the music, really. The words themselves could be placed in a much more up-tempo and boppy, majory sounding song, and it could sound quite throwaway. But I do like the romance in them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the title's quite clever, And I Love Her. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's not just I love her or or something else it's and i love her it's like and i love her you know this afterthought sort of not afterthought sort of addendum sort of thing it's a strange one yeah you know it's it's clever in that in that sense it's it's cleverer than it gives it seems at first it's much it's cleverer in combination with the music because if the music because the music's got that haunting sadness to it if the song was i love her but she doesn't love me it would just be the same you know you'd be what you'd expect but it is that it's got that I love us so much that it's almost sad feel to it, which is what I mean about the hopeless romantic kind of thing, you know. Um, I'm going to give the lyrics, it's only going to give the lyrics 59 because there's still not that much to them, but it gives it 71.7 overall. Well, um, uh, the trousers. Hang on, what's that sound? That's the Ruttles Claxon alerting us to a equivalent or related thing in Ruttles verse. And it's in this case it's a song Between Us, which is used in the film, it wasn't on the original album, but turns up on the reissued album. Although it's presented as a song sung by Stig O'Hara, the George Harrison of the group. Oh right, yeah. 
and it has Ricky Fatar then doing the vocals on it. Very nice vocals. And it's not a direct lift of And I Lover by any means, but it is what it And I Lover is the sort of touchstone for their song Between Us. Between us. Because it's got the nylon strung guitar solo in it and it has a, a bongo and claves rhythm going. Yeah. So it's very much a... Between Us represents a certain aspect of the Beatles' career. It's songs from around 1964 with that sort of feel. It gives an opportunity for a George-style vocal in there, and it's very lovely. So as many of the Ruttle songs are, it's it's almost as lovely as the thing it's... They are it's, indeed, yeah. It's representing. They are, and that's that's pretty much what I always say about them when you when we, we get a Ruttles clacks and that's... I get a chance to go and listen to them and remind myself of them. I've never listened to them as much as you have, but I have listened to them over the years. And I was thinking, yeah, this is just, just as nice. And I would encourage anyone to listen to the um, the latest Egg Pod episode. Where the What's the, the lady who's on that, Paul? That's Laura Grimshaw, who produced the uh, the three-part series about Neil Innes that was on Radio 4 Extra over, over Christmas, which will still be up on iPlayer as well. Mm. So, yeah, that's... She does a good job going through the original album, so she doesn't talk about this because this, I can say, this wasn't on the original yeah. album, as several of the songs that are later put out on the CD aren't. Aren't? Oh, I've forgotten where I was with that sentence. Mm. But it's a good place to start if you're perhaps not as um, don't have as much knowledge of the Ruttles. It's a good thing to listen to to kind of get a, a good overview of of the uh, original album. That's the um, I am the Egg Pod or Egg Pod. Um, yeah, so. Great. Good good Ruttles interjection. And mm-hmm. we will finish today then with Sexy Sadie. Sadie Paul. Oh, what have you done? So we've got another song from the White Album, and in fact we've got a song that follows on from the other White Album track that we talked about earlier. So everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey finishes, and Sexy Sadie starts. It is recorded in July, uh, July, August of 1968, including again another remake, a bit like we were talking about with And I Love Her, some changes and decisions partway through the recording process. Mm-hmm. Like I say, White Album, November 1968, comes out. It's a Lennon song, and it's got a very well-known... I presume most people know what it's actually about. I think so. I'd say my level of Beatles, which is probably a bit more than most people's, but not as much as yours, would know about the story, I think. So it's... Yeah, it's an interesting, enigmatic sort of piano-led Lennon meditation on certain things that have happened or he has seen happening or believed happened anyway. Yes. So we'll start with the music and we'll get to the the story of that, no doubt, with the lyrics. So from a music point of view, it's chords, chords, chords for me. I love the chords in this. Um, It marks or maybe defines, I don't know, the point where these boys were starting to manipulate music 
in ways that they and others really hadn't done yet. I think um, this is another one of those what else sounds like this songs, you know? Yeah. The kind of chords that you just wouldn't have been dreamed... Sorry. The kind of chords you wouldn't have dreamed of having used two or three albums before this, definitely. But, you know, it's surprising. It only actually lasts just over three minutes as it kind of feels like an epic from start to finish. Um, and there's not actually that much happening musically for a lot of it around that piano. There's a piano, bass and drums make up the most of it behind the various vocals and backing. The guitar joins for the choruses and then I think plays some broken chords along with the piano, which kind of blends into the piano. Yeah, you just sort of have a wash of bits and pieces of yeah. organs and harmoniums and things like that. So, But it's the motion sway and the surge of this that pushes it into territory that, again, I think other bands will live in and explore almost exclusively for following decades again. And it's not like I'm some mad Radiohead fan. It's just that they've come to mind twice this episode. Could live inside, you know, Sexy Sadie feels to me like the kind of song that bands went off and listened to. How do we get this unusual off, almost off key sound, this almost out of tune sound sometimes and, 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 and make this, this, this strange soundscape out of it. But it's still a song and it's still got melody and, sectioned it's great um it's a space where music can sound like this and still work and be like you know rock and progressive i think it's got it's great for that so i'm going to give it 87 for music production then i love how at times the whole song feels like it could fall apart yeah like yeah, I, understand. I know what you mean yeah we're on the verge of like a tape click and voices saying should, should we do that again but um but i think that's the genius of the white album as a whole you know um it kind of feels like you're a witness to the raw creativity with less facade, but still enough added interest to not quite be as exposed as something like Let It Be ended up being, you know. But the piano wobbles throughout. What effect is that? Is it is it literally going in and out of tune or are they slowing the tape down or something? I think it's probably just putting it through like one of the machines, like the ADT machine, which they used to use for double tracking the vocals and things like that. They, they used to do all sorts of weird little wobulating effects in the studio <laughs> and, and they get to a point where they're putting it on everything. Hence, like Clapton's guitar on on while my guitar yeah. has the same sort of thing going on. So it's they're, they're not always the true equivalent of something that's now standard practice in, say, guitar pedals or something like that. Yeah, it's it's things they would do using certain technologies that, in many cases, were invented for the studio to meet a need. Mm. So, but very often they're just putting everything through this artificial double tracking machine or through a rotating Leslie speaker to try and get some mad effect. Did you just say the word wobulating as well? <laughs> I did say the word wobulating, yes. Is wobulating a word? No, no, it isn't, but it's a it s- sort of sideways reference to a uh, radiophonic workshop thing. Oh, <laughs> good. Um, yeah, because I like how it wobbles kind of at the, the kind of peak of the the, um, the chord pattern. So it kind of... It goes up to that. It, it goes up the scale. seems to wobble more at the top and come back down with it. It's got a really spooky effect with it. Um the backing vocals are somehow harsher and more brash than usual because of the phasing that's on them. But this works well with the harmonising and countering to the main vox. Um, you know, Lennon sounds great, but he's kind of got a clean sound. And then you've got these phasey kind of very, very typical Beatles answer and response kind of stuff going on, um, call and answer stuff going on. But it's, it's, it's all a bit off kilter. Mm. Um, like I said, the piano blends in with the guitar in part, but it, that kind of also makes it sound a bit detuned and funny. In fact, the whole song has, has, has just a, a, an interest and wobulation to it. 
<laughs> dreamy and awkward, but in a good way, I think. Do you think? I do, I think, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it 87.5 production. Which leads us to the lyrics. So, um, I know this is actually about Maharishi and that story is very well known, but could you summarise it quickly in an eggshell? In an eggshell? In an eggshell? <laughs> in, in, <laughs> no, that's a little bit bigger than a nutshell, but not quite yeah, as big in, as, a, in, as a bombshell. Um, okay, so I'll try and put it in there. Yes, it's so they come back from India, having left at different times. You know, Paul and Ringo leave before John and George, and the reason John and George leave is because John believes that the Maharishi has been told that the Maharishi has been fooling around with one of the girls there. Anyway, and so his sort of idea of this big spiritual leader being rather human, mm. let's say, sort of triggers this excuse for them to go. Funny thing is with that, apparently he told McCartney that when they got back and Paul was like, so? And he was like, yeah, but I can't follow someone who's doing that. So, yeah, it's it's all interesting. And actually, it may not have happened. It yeah. depends on, on whose story. You know, someone, apparently Magic Alex was there, who obviously has his part in the Beatles story as well. And I think he sort of wanted the Beatles to be out of there because, you know, if they fall under the thrall of someone else, they're not going to be under the thrall of him. Mm. Maybe. So he may have started a rumour. He put a bit of pressure on Lennon, maybe. And there's lots of different reports. And so John writes this song, which is basically, Maharishi, what have you done? Mm. But funnily enough for Lennon, he's too much of a coward to actually say that in the song. So George comes up with Sexy Sadie as a proxy for that. So, yeah, it's interesting. So like in, in the lyrics as well, you do hear in that... Second block of vocals, I suppose you'd call it the second verse. He does say he laid it down for all to see, yeah, but then after that, it's she, mm. so that's an interesting one. There, anyway. it's like either a, a, a deliberate Lennon or a slip of a Lennon, yeah. it's a very Lennon thing to do in out, count me in out, he, she, he, yeah. She. So, um, yeah, the whole thing with or the another, ma- it's another uh, gender swap moment on a white album song, if you compare yeah, it with the yeah. Obladi as well, yeah. So just been the album for it. Um, yeah, the whole thing with the Magic Alex, um, again, we won't go into Magic Alex because that'd be just a whole other thing if you don't know about him. But he he was so full of rubbish that it makes you do think, maybe the Maharishi got a really bad rap if it was all coming from him. You know, um, I don't know what really, if he went on to... Because it must have massively affected his reputation. Yeah, apparently George went back to his ashram in the 90s and apologised. Yeah, just so a bit so. late, George. But <laughs> and also, you know, it's it's a bit a bit rich of of Lennon of all people. To yeah. <laughs> I guess you know if you if you're thinking of this person if you if you if you're putting someone on a pedestal and then they've disappointed you. But anyway, I think it was just the excuse they needed really to to get, get out, give up, and go home. Yeah. But it's um the the thing is though, despite any feelings about why he wrote it. And what it's actually about, it's another great Lennon journalistic piece again, isn't it? Um, it captures that bitter aftertaste of that whole experience in a lyric that, by that really clever bit of swapping by George, so George should get some credit here, makes for a great character study, regardless of any foreknowledge of it. You know, you, if you didn't know anything about that, you'd still have a picture of something in your mind, wouldn't you? And the, the lyric, one sunny day, the world was waiting for a lover, deserves points no matter what, I think. Yes, yeah, uh, some excellent words in there. So I'm going to give it 80.5 for lyrics, which gives it 85 overall. 
So it was a big bumper episode, that. Lots to talk about. Some big scores. So we've got two that have made it into the top 20. Ooh. Ooh. So we've got three that obviously haven't. So out of 90 songs scored so far, these are the three that didn't make it into the, the top 20 and where they did land. Ticket to Ride has come in at number 37. And I Love Her is at number 32. Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey is at number 28. So we have two in the top 20. And it goes like this. At joint 19 and 20, I Want You See So Heavy and While My Guitar Gently Weeps. At number 18, She Said, She Said. At number 17, Revolution One. At number 16, I'm So Tired. At joint 14 and 15, Hello Goodbye and Good Morning, Good Morning. At number 13, Fixing a Hole. At number 12, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. At number 11, You Never Give Me Your Money. At number 10, Long, Long, Long. At number nine, Sexy Sadie. At number eight, Lovely Rita. Nowhere Man at number seven. Yesterday at number six. The Fool on the Hill at number five. Cry Baby Cry at number four. Lady Madonna at number three. Let It Be at number two. And I Am The War is still at number one. Mm. With a difference of point, oh, of 1.7. Between Your them. system is baffling. It all makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> and that's all that matters if it weren't for the fact that I record this and put it out for people to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so there's some movement there anyway and um, some, some really good songs. So thanks again, Paul, and thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you. And we will see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>